Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Uh, experiences are so powerful, isn't it? Uh, your, your childhood experiences uh, impact our life. And um, it's pretty amazing how it influences our life as adults, whether it is a, a good experience or a bad. Experiences are so powerful that it can dictate who you are today. Uh, Paul, uh, so our past experiences can be so impacting that it can build patterns in our life so that it governs certain things you even do today. Uh, it's, it's Father's Day, and if you're a father, uh, today comes with celebration and reflection and, and memories. And I'm sure it's been a day of reflecting on your dad uh, and how your experiences with your dad uh, have affected your life today. And some of, some of those experiences with your dad carry on how you even parent uh, today. And so experiences are, are, are impacting. Spir- you know, even on a lighter sense, our, uh, our past experiences around food, for example, are so powerful that you can walk into a candy store and see a certain kind of candy like, like this candy here, taffy. Anybody ever try taffy? Raise your hand all the room. Just a couple people. It shows our age, right? Um, I, under, I understand that. Uh, I, when I think of taffy, I, rem, I think back not just eating that for the first time or eating it as a kid, but I remember there was a store behind our house, not far behind our house, called Pleasant Groceries. And I would go there as a kid after I got my allowance of 25 cents, right? And I would go there and I would buy taffy. And taffy's kind of like a hard... I think, I think it's actually on the endangered species thing now. Yeah? But back in the day, it was good, right? Uh, uh, and I would get some taffy, and, and I would, and you know, if it was in the middle of July, I mean, by the time I got home, the taffy wasn't hard. It was soft, right? In, in the middle of July in, in uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay, it's the two, two days of the hottest time of the year, right? And, and by the time I got home, I would wring up that taffy like this, and my hands would be all dirty, and I would put it in my mouth, right? The taffy, and I would eat it, and and uh, that, that's when I think of that. I, I think back of experiences like that. Um, even things you say, phrases uh, that your parents said to you that drove you nuts and you vowed you would never say them to your kids, right? But you are saying them. Things like this one, okay? You won't be able to find your eyes in the morning. Picture that. Like, how... What it means is, is, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and your child or your teenager is still up and, you know, they got to go to school or you won't be able to find your eyes in the morning. You just love them. Uh, how, how about this one? Because I said so. Right? That phrase got me in so much trouble. Because when my parents would say it to me, I was the type of personality, they call it saucy back then, but it wasn't. I wasn't saucy. It was, I wanted to know why I was grounded for the rest of my life. Because I said so. That's not good enough for me. So that one really bugged me. And I found myself saying it every now and then because of the, my experience, right? Uh, and I shouldn't. I'm still getting counseling over it. And I'm, here I am saying it to my kids. Um, this one uh, that you've heard, I'm sure. This hurts me more than it hurts you. No, it don't. No, it doesn't. I promise you. It doesn't hurt you more than it hurts me. If I'm grounded or... Got a lacing? You know what a lacing is, right? Nobody knows what that is these days, right? 
uh, that was the best form of discipline, of at least, uh, you know, correcting a person back in the day, apparently so. Uh, And my father, I work with my dad, and um, if you work in a family business and you work with your dad, may the Lord be with you. Uh, But I worked with my dad for a little while, notice I said a little while, Uh, back in the day when I was younger, and he he would get me up at 5 a.m. in the morning, he would say, sure, today is half gone. And I would say, no, it's not. Our Savior is not even up yet. And here you are getting me up, right? And this is another one. Don't eat that. You will spoil your supper. You ever hear that one? Here's what I want you to do. Take a second and tell someone next to you one of the phrases you've heard that, from your parents that, that you now say now. Now, if your mom or dad is next to you, this is going to be really weird. But go ahead anyway. Just take a second. Yeah, I know. All right. Some of your parents are apologizing. Hear that. I'm so sorry for saying all those things to you. And, you know. Okay. So, so the, the point I'm making is many of our experiences dictate how we live today. Some of them. This is true for our experiences with God as well. Um, uh, Pastor Crystal a couple of week o- weeks ago started our series on prayer and Pastor Megan last week continued it and uh, I am today uh, walking into this uh, part of our series and we're, today we're going to hone in on one of, the, one of the most pivotal prayers that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross and depending on your experiences around prayer can determine your connection with God. It's true. Mark chapter 14 is where we are today, and you can find it on our YouVersion app, or not ours, but the YouVersion app. You go to events, and you'll see our notes there. You can follow along today. And I, I think everyone in the room today would, would give me a different definition of prayer, at least your version of, of what prayer is. And it would be based on how you grew up and where you were raised and what kind of church you went to. For example, if you were, if you were Pentecostal, you grew up with prayer meetings, Right? I heard that. All night prayer things, special called prayer meetings, um, and, and, and prayer was in most, some cases highly emotional, highly uh, verbal, built around experiences. I remember being in the presence uh, of some of the prayer warriors in my church, and when they would lead out in prayer, I would think to myself, wow, I will never be able to pray like that. They knew the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and they read the entire Bible in that prayer, right? You're, you're sitting there going, how did they remember all, all of this? But th- that was my experience. If you're, if you're Methodist, prayers were written out in the time of year. It was in, in seasons. If you read some of Wesley's prayers, uh, they're systematic prayers. Not that you couldn't pray on your own, but many of them were systematic. If your background is Catholic, when you hear the word prayer, it's a different experience. It's not so much what you can do, but what others uh, can do on your behalf. You can pray, but there's a rosary beads or going to a priest for confession. That's your experience. If you're Episcopalian, your prayer experience is very liturgical, format-like, very much like a, a Catholic experience. Um, maybe you, you didn't grow up going to church, uh, and you have a very small view on what prayer looks like. That is an experience. And so this proves that our our experiences have formed our view of prayer and even how we pray. For for a moment today, can we deconstruct your view on what prayer is and look at a moment in Jesus' life 
and see how he prayed. This, this is the night in Jesus' life where pressure was the most. It was one thing, to, you know, it's one thing to say, uh, this is how you would act before any pressure is in your life. But it's another thing to see someone act when the, when the pressure's on. And it's true, this is a true statement. When you are under the most pressure, who you really are comes out. Right, parents? You know what I'm saying? I found this out early on in my, in my um, parenthood when I put my kids in competitive sports. It wasn't them on the field that had the pressure. It was Bruce on the sidelines. You know, it was stressful, and I was one of those parents, let me tell you. So much so that at times I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a game. I remember taking my kids to Tim Horton's soccer camp, or one, we did it twice. That shows how bad I was on the sidelines, right? But, you know, this is true. Um, during the night, this night, the, the way Jesus turned to God in prayer it's an example of how we should praise. So no matter what your experience is, for these few minutes, minutes, I want us to whitewash our idea of prayer. Not that, that what we've done in the past is wrong. We want us to kind of lean into and shine the light on Mark chapter 14. And let's hear uh, from Jesus. And I want you to remember the simple direction as we were journeying through today. It's what Jesus exemplified in the garden. And it's this, communication, which means uh, communicating with God, Time spent trusting God equals deeper relationship. And we'll talk about that in a moment. This journey of prayer is not something that we arrive to overnight. But when we built into the fabric of our lives, talking to God, we learn his heart for us. We, we do this through communicating with God and we do it over a season of time. We learn to trust and connect deeper with God. Uh, it, it's, it's Father's Day and and I've been reflecting over 20 years of perfect marital bliss. If you would, if you would ask me, uh, uh, me on my wedding day in 1998, while I was standing at an altar, I thought I, I loved Rochelle in that moment as much as I will ever love her. But that was before three kids, right? And 20 years of marriage and ministry and, and life to, together. But I tell you, her love for me today makes that pale in comparison. That was supposed to be funny. You guys didn't laugh at that. Do not use this joke again, okay. <laughs> and the reason why our, 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 our marriage is stronger today is because of, we would like to think, stronger communication, time spent, trusting God, uh, trusting each other in, in our relationship, which means a deeper relationship. And this is, this is true for our spiritual life. It says in chapter, uh, verse 32 of Mark 14, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. It's a, a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. He would pull away Outside of John chapter 17, where Jesus describes his prayer, most of the times we don't hear much about what he prays. But Mark, we kind of see a light there. And look, and look what it says, who he brought with him. He took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Now Jesus knew that the time was coming for why he was on earth. He knew the pain that was coming. He knew the cost that it would take from his life over the next few hours. This is the night before the trials. This is, this is the night uh, before it all transpired and, it's, and he says, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. They had, they had never heard him speak this way. 
They didn't understand the pain he was going through. And, you know, it almost seemed like, in, from a human perspective, he was falling apart. Can you imagine what the disciples were witnessing in this moment? Jesus, who could calm storms, if there was a disease, he could heal it. If there was a physical defect, he could change it. If there were demons, he, he stood them down. But now they are watching the wrestle between the heart of a submissive son and the will, and the, uh, and the will of a, a sovereign father. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. You see, going to the cross, Jesus cries out to his father, if there is any other way than this, I will take it. If it's possible for there to be redemption for you and I, another way, then let this pass from me. Let me say this to you today. I am so glad that Jesus didn't cut corners to redeem us from sin. Amen? But in the middle of this crying out, one gospel records that the intense pressure was so great that he sweat drops of blood. We get to listen in here on Jesus. While he, while he prays, while he communicates, it's like a microphone is placed in the garden with him. Can you imagine in the middle of where you are squeezed, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your temptation, if a microphone was slipped over your life and we could all hear what you were going through? God forbid, right? Can you imagine that? And we hear this word, Abba. Father, during the darkest moment in his life, he cries to God, was, was one of the most intimate moments in his life because he knew to whom he was praying. He understood who was on the other side of his prayer. Isn't it amazing to know who is on the other side of your prayer? And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Will. It was the ultimate cry of, God, I'm not sure I can handle this. God, I don't want to, but God, I trust you. Why? Because the direction of our prayers make all the difference. Amen? And if you're in a season of your life where you are facing something that is bigger than you, this prayer reminds us that an effective prayer life is not one who doesn't doubt but in the middle of the doubt, knowing to whom you are praying makes the difference. You hear what I'm saying? And I want to start here today knowing how God feels about you is so important to your prayer life. And see, at the heart of prayer is a God who chooses to adopt me in the middle of my mess. Wow. A year ago, I, I had a privilege of, of going to, to family court with the Loveless family, and they were in our first service, they were in their second service. When, when their three kids, okay, three kids were legally adopted into Kelly and Todd's family. It was one of the most amazing privileges I have ever had, and probably the, one of the hardest time I ever cried next to my kids being born. I stood on the side, and I was at times I couldn't even see around me. I was just like, is there anybody else crying here, or is it just me? You know, because I could see the impact of this life. And, and, and the reason why I was so emotional emotional is because I knew them. I, I watched the journey of these kids that they were fostering. Now on this day, 
I was like, wow, this is truly amazing. They're signing the papers. And, and see, and, and in adoption, you don't get to choose who you will adopt, okay? It's not, not, in, not in this culture for the most part. You don't go to a walk into a room with a bunch of kids and read their rap sheet, okay? And this is a picture of that day. I took it to the side. It's my picture. And in some cases, you pull kids, you know, you don't look at their IQ, you don't look at their, their past experiences, you don't look at their parents, or, or you know, and say, well, they're, they're, they're below average, so I don't want to adopt them. It's not like that. And in some cases, you pull them out of those situations, if they were left in, they would end up dead or in a very unhealthy environment. You hear what I'm saying? And if left there, they would end up perpetuating the same existence. They end up being yours into your family with no choice. And I was standing there on the side, amazed at this moment. Here's this amazing thing about, the, about spiritual adoption is this. He chose you because he wanted you and he chose to adopt you in the middle of your mess. This is where you say amen. In the middle of it. And I'm standing there looking at these kids. I'm like, do you kids realize that Todd and Kelly own an A&W and Menchie's? And I'm thinking, can you adopt me? You know? <laughs> like, it's amazing. Standing there and watching this, the, 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 the weight of what is going on. See, and back in the day in, in scripture time, when a person was adopted, they had full legal rights to their family at the moment of their adoption. The moment you said yes to Jesus... You became family to the Father. Amen? We have this idea that if I get my life cleaned up, when I get my life in order, when I begin to do things, you know, that's not, you know, do things perfect, and I just line up perfectly in this neat and tidy little thing. You see, that's not how adoption works. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What's that word? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, our prayer life is affected by this idea. If we are good children, then he will answer my prayer. If I live up to this standard of perfection, then he'll be proud of me. I have to clean up my life, my rap sheet, right? But Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received what? The spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry what? Abba, Father, the same words Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane is God's desire for your life and my life. To be able to cry out to him in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my moments and say, Abba, Father, I need you in my life today. And our life of prayer will be stagnant depending on how you view the God who you are praying to. He chose to adopt you in the middle of your mess. And when you approach God in prayer, we approach him from the perspective that he took the penalty of my sin and, and I live in the benefits of salvation. He loved you before you loved him, before you came to him, what you couldn't fix in your life, he provides a way to fix it. He called his son Jesus to you. We need, to, we need a rescuing, we, need a, we were orphans, now he calls us citizens of heaven. We don't experience pain and the full weight of the cross as Jesus did and its penalty Jesus did that. We have the full weight of the cross and its benefits because Jesus took the penalty while you were in your mess. You hear what I'm saying? At the heart of prayer is a God who adopts us, but not only that, he chooses to be with me and never leave me. 
He'll never leave you. You cannot talk him into not loving you. You cannot sin your way out of his love. David said it this way. He likened God's thoughts and love for us as comparison to the grains of sand. And our prayer life is affected by this idea, my mess disqualifies me from God journeying with me. God will be with me only if I live this life of perfection. While you were still in the mess of your sin, he sent his son. If he chose to give us the most precious thing before we knew him, why would he leave us in the middle of our mess? You hear me? Yes, God hates sin. He hates sin so much that he gave what he loved the most. Yes, sin separates us from God, but the direction of your prayer is to a God, and I and I have I have been invited into this family of God, and He is Abba Father. His banner over me is love. And I know I'm not where I should be at times, but thank God He reminds me He will never leave me. He'll never leave you. He chooses to be with me in my entire life. Back in 2015, four years into leading this church, I was going through a time that I, I, I can only describe to you as a deep spiritual battle. And I, I was questioning my calling. I was, I, 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 it was a spiritual funk, if you want to call it. It was affecting the way I was leading, even who I was at home. I remember one Sunday morning getting up to speak, just feeling I wasn't worthy to do it. That day. Can I be real with you? I just felt I wasn't worthy to do it. But I got up. And I remember praying that morning saying, God, like, I need to hear you. I can't hear you. It's been a long, I, I just feel like you're nowhere. I, think, I feel like the antenna is broken. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I need to hear you. And during my speaking, a man came into the building, and I noticed him, and he sat down in the middle towards the back, just back right here. And for some reason, he stuck out to me the entire time I was speaking. And when I was done, I spoke to a few people and made my way out of the foyer, but I, I only got as far as the front right here, and this gentleman met me right here. And even for some reason, Rochelle... Had been there with me for something, which is odd. We normally don't see each other for at least 30 minutes after, after the service because, um, you know, I'm just chatting with people and she's chasing around three kids. And so we were there. And, 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 and in, in the middle of it, I'm asking God, where are you? I'm, I'm struggling. I, I can't. Are you with me? Are you, you know, is it only certain times that you're with me? And I was really, really strong. And this gentleman met me here after the service. And he said to me, I was, I was on a plane. This is a true story, word for word. I was on a plane on the way back home to Ireland. And we had a stopover here in St. John's. And when the plane landed, God spoke to me and told me to get off the plane because God had a message for someone. True story. And he said, after I struggled with God, <laughs> I guess you did, <laughs> I got off and I rented a car. And I sat in this car and said to God, what am I doing here? And two words came to my, my heart. 
Prince Philip's road. He said, I put Prince Philip Road in my GPS and I began to drive. But I had no idea where I was going till I came to, the, to, to a stoplight and I looked to my left and I saw this church. And God said, that's where I want you to go. True story. He said, I came in us into this service and when I sat down, you, you got up to speak and apologize for my, my emotions, but it's so real. And once again, I felt God speaking to me. He said, you need to go up to that pastor afterwards and speak this into his life. And he stood there for 10 minutes and he described to me my struggle in the past what I'm going through right now and what God is going to do for me in the future. And I stood, stood there. He must have thought, and I can only describe it, he must have thought I was an idiot because he, he, he got off a plane in the middle of nowhere, rents a vehicle, puts Prince Phillips in the vehicle and drives and finds me and I, I hardly said a word to him. I was so gobsmacked that God was hearing me, that he took someone, a stranger, and it just shows you how stubborn I am. That's what God has to do sometimes in my life. You see, church, God has not left you alone. You feel today like your prayer life is affected by this, the fact that if, I, if there's pain in my life, that God is far from me. The pain must mean God is distant. You see, what's so important about Mark chapter 14 is this. It's the wrestle between the heart of a submissive son and the will of a sovereign father. It's Jesus praying to the father in the middle of the greatest struggle of his life. Not my will, but yours. You know exactly what that means. You know the emotions that's tied to that statement because you have said it, not my will, Father. And you have struggled with your submission to God and his sovereignty. And it's, it's submitting to God, even when I don't understand and trusting in God who is sovereign and in control, when it feels out of control, that's the real struggle. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we are. And trusting God, that as I submit to him, sometimes the hurtful parts of our life can lead to some of the deepest moments with God. Isn't this true? So true. If you step back to in Mark chapter 14, as we listen to Jesus struggle through one of the greatest moments of his life before the cross that led to one of the deepest moments because Jesus didn't walk away from this moment he didn't choose to run from what he is called to. He stepped into it. The next day began a chain of events that would eventually lead to death and death on a cross. But in, the, in order to do that, he had to submit to the will of God. 
knowing that the pain now will lead to something more. He went to the cross and endured the pain and defeated it and rose in victory so that when you are in the middle of your deepest hurts, we can pray to a sovereign God who is with us in our journey. Amen? He's gone before us. And someone today in this room needs to hear that in its most simplest form. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And see, at the heart of prayer is a God who, is, who chooses to adopt us. He chooses to be with us, but he also chooses the best for me in my journey. If you have kids that are older than 11, you can relate to what I'm about to say about Christmas. I miss the sheer joy of my kids' face when they open their gifts at Christmas. Because after age 11, they're too cool. You know what I'm saying? It's like you spend all this time and they go, oh, thanks, Dad. There's something else I enjoyed is watching them open gifts that they needed, not what they wanted. <laughs> I know, it's torture. Their face goes from excitement to being puzzled. It's like, right? One of my kids had the best response in these moments. They would say, it's what I've always wanted, right? How nice. You see, a warm coat doesn't mean much under the tree, does it? <laughs> but when it comes time for them to use the needed gift, I remind them again, as they are going out the door and it's minus 15, you would be some cold if all you were wearing was a bracelet. You know what I'm saying? And awkward too. <laughs> Instead of a warm coat, right? A needed gift can be more valuable than a wanted gift. Because it's what's best for you at the time. God in his sovereignty chooses what's best. And I don't understand it. We hear that and we go, I, I have a hard time seeing him as good, a good father when I know the stuff I face or I'm facing right now. There are people in this room facing stuff that is really tough. It's sickness and, and, and the loss of loved ones and other things that you can't even describe out loud. I understand that. But if you had taken a snapshot of Jesus' life that night in Mark chapter 14, if you would have isolated Jesus' life in the garden and the torture he went through, we would end up saying, ah, well, I question God, whether God knows what he's doing here. If we would have stopped Jesus' story at God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We would say, well, you know what? It doesn't feel like God's in control here. I know you would because I've said it in my own life. When I've taken snapshots of my moments and I've said, God, you are not in control. There's no way. There's no way. You see, it's very dangerous. We can't take snapshots of our life and make a determination on God's presence or absence. It's very dangerous. Why was Jesus able to cry to Abba Father as the team returns in spite of the pain he was going through? Because he trusted that God knew what he was doing. Yes, there was a wrestle between the heart of a submissive son and the will of a sovereign father. But because Jesus trusted the father, we are able to sit here today and know the full power of his redemption in our life on the other end of that struggle. And see, in the middle of this great discourse, discourse by the, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, it says, and we know, next slide, and we know that all things 
God works for the good of those who, we, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good, does it? It says all things work together for good. There are some of us walking through the other things, the good, the bad, the unforeseen in your life, the times when you pray and God feels a million miles away when it's painful and God sends someone from Ireland to speak into your life. It's rare, isn't it? You're like, show up my life, please. Maybe you're not as stubborn as I am. And when God sends no one, and you take a snapshot of that moment, you say, it's impossible for him to be with me today because this is all I see. And God doesn't care. But in the middle of it, if we build into the fabric of our life, the example that Jesus showed us in the garden by communicating with God, by spending time, Jesus pulled away from people and spent time with God and learning to trust him, that really means a deeper relationship. If you hang on long enough, you will learn to trust. There are a lot of things we're not going to understand, but one day we will say, I trust you, God. I trust you. And Jesus sums it up best in talking to his disciples and the crowds called the Sermon on the Mount, and he describes how perfect God is and how God wants the best for you and I. And he says this, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts, good things, to those who ask Ask him. You see, I'm a broken father. Won't you stand with me all over this room? And some days I don't measure up. Other days I'm, I fail and I love my kids and I give them good, good gifts, gifts that they need, not what they want sometimes. But our heavenly father is perfect. And he sees you where you are. Did you hear that? He sees you where you are. He sees that struggle in your marriage. He sees that struggle that you're having maybe in business. He sees that the distance that you have with that son and that daughter or, or vice versa. He sees all of that. But yet we try to hide from God, don't we? And we try to paint our own picture. Well, everything's just great, God. I'm, I'm doing good. And yet our Heavenly Father knows us. He knows our coming and our going. Yet we try to fake it. We just say, well, I'm, doing, I'm okay. And our okay means I've lived long enough in this, in this situation that I've made it okay. But it doesn't make it okay, right? God is saying, I'm your father. And the same intimacy that Jesus had with his father, the heavenly father in Mark 14, we have. We have the same access to that. How amazing is that? The same access. I want us to read a prayer together on this Father's Day. It's not a Father's Day. It's an everyday heart prayer, actually. It's a prayer that's in, that we internalize for ourselves. But before we do, I'm gonna ask Pastor Justin to lead us, and I want you just to take a moment and reflect on God's word today and prepare your heart to read this prayer authentically. Not from a, a busy heart, a broken heart, 
a sad heart, which is impossible not to do that, but don't read it from what you think God is going to do. Read it from a father who loves you. He's Abba Father. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.